welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature audio from our Expo 2020 panel series. In this episode, Tony Kanak talks about some important aspects from a book called Art of War and how to apply these strategies to your business. My name's Tony Kanak. I am the CEO of a sales uh, training and coaching company, and I am going to take you through some of the pieces of a book that was written in the 5th century BC by a Chinese uh, general who put together the best tactics for how to defeat the enemy. And the book is called The Art of War. And the, uh, the, the writer that's given credit for it is this general called Sun Tzu. And we're going to take that book and we're going to apply it to selling. It is a fantastic business book. It has been used by all the world's largest companies. They have their entire senior leadership team read it and go through it because it directly applies the business to life. It's kind of one of those books that you could read every two or three years and get something totally different out of it the second or third time you look at it. Um, It's also on Audible. If you are a person that likes to listen to books instead of read them, this is a pretty good one to listen to because narrators are not always great when it comes to books. This narrator is pretty good on Audible. So I've uh, both read it and listened to it. And uh, you know, now we're going to teach it. Now, in, in order to get you ready, just a couple of, of rules for engagement. So make sure your cell phones are on silent. You want to pay attention during the session. Now, since it's a sales session, if you happen to get a call from a prospect who wants you to sign on, I will permit it, just not inside the room. So you've got to dash for the door, do the call outside, get the deal, and then come back in the room. All right? So we'll permit that uh, today. But if you are... Um, you know, if you've been in sales a long time, if you own your business a long time, you've had some level of success for some of you, uh, it's just going to be affirmation today that you're doing a lot of the right things right. If you've had good success with your business, you're in here, you're going to be like, I do that. I do that. I do it slightly different than the way Tony's talking about, but I do that, and that's good. For others, there's going to be some things that you look at and you go, I don't know if I could say that to somebody. I'm not sure. That's going to scare somebody away. I am not going to teach you anything that is going to blow up a deal. You can't blow up a good deal. But what you're going to be able to do by taking the techniques from this is start to uncover all the things that you're not hearing today. So I'm not experimenting on you. There's been a thousand people before you that we've coached through using techniques like we're going to teach today that have done them that their deal hasn't blown up. So it's not an experiment. There'll be a few slides where you want to take a picture because there's specific language in it that you're going to want to use at some point in time. And you might, not want to, you might not have time to get it all down. I'll mention those to you. So just as an example of what happened, it works like this. Your ability to do the things that I'm going to introduce you to today, or in any of the sessions that you learned out here, is based on what's called adult learning theory. Your brain is formatted a certain way. And you can retain and reuse things, but only if you follow these patterns. It's been studied for many years. Uh, Some of you saw me speak two years ago at this conference where I had mentioned this, and it is critical to your success in selling, 
but anything that you learned at the conference, this, this next piece is the piece you want to understand, which is when you learn something new, it has to be presented to you in a way where you understand the why. It's got to be in the context of what you do. You can't just do all hypothetical situations. That's not going to work. So we're going to stick to, to painting and contracting, right, as the, the main theme for what we do. So you go through a training session. It has to take into account for you to get the most out of it, what your prior experience is. Now, based on who we have in the room, I could have somebody that's brand new, they just bought a painting company, compared to somebody else who's been doing it for three to four decades, right? So I've got a mixture of everybody. I can't customize it down to the individual, but if you're doing training with your team, this is a key point for you to remember, is it has to be in the context of you know, that person's prior experiences and what they already understand. But number four is the key. In order for an idea to cement while you're in training, at any of these sessions, you have to do it in a short time period after we finished. So two years ago, when I was here at the conference, I did a session on referrals. And during that session, I had somebody who was seated in the back of the room, and I made the same announcement about the cell phones and all that. And I was going over language that they could use in order to generate a referral from a really satisfied customer. The idea of doing it right away, this guy apparently took to heart. So he ignored the rule about not using your cell phone while you're in the session, right? He texted one of his customers. Now, I had up on the screen, call your customer or meet your customer and say these words to generate a referral. And he raised his hand and he said, I apologize. I broke the rule. I went on my phone and I did a text while you were talking. But I just wanted to tell you what happened. I just texted one of my best customers what you just said, and he just gave me a referral for a new job, right? So the point is, when I go over something here, if you see something and you go, you know what, that's interesting, we gotta try that, it can't just be, I gotta try that thing that that guy taught me and you leave the conference and you go do it. You have to do it in order for your brain to be able to recall it when you need it. It implants it in a part that you can retrieve, right? There's a lot of science behind it, I'm not gonna go into it. I know somebody's gonna ask me, what did you say to the guy? Here's a slide you wanna you know, just capture because this session isn't specifically about referrals, but this is what I said. You know, the language is, hey, there's something, I, you would talk to an existing customer that's happy with you. Hey, there's something I wanted to ask you that I don't think we've talked about before, but first I wanted to make sure you're still a huge fan of the work that we do. They're gonna go, yeah, Jack, we love you. You guys are awesome. We love when you guys take care of our property or whatever it might be. It's about referrals. I didn't think I've ever specifically asked you about them. Who do you know that you think could use our help? That's it. That's it. Now, they might not be able to think of anybody right away, but they are highly likely to find a referral for you in the next 90 days because you've planted the seed. Now, if you're bold enough to do that, then you're bold enough to do the last point, which is, would you mind if I check back with you every once in a while just to see how you're doing and to see if you've come across anybody that might be a fit? Now, some of you are going, I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't do it. The people that do it and they do it well, they do it all the time, and their business is 100% referral. That's how it works. Now, as you go through this, I'm going to be talking a little bit later about a thing called a reverse timeline and how to use it. But the best way to execute this is that you have an agreement with customers that if they love the work that you do, that they're going to refer you out, right? This is approaching the sales battle a completely different way than some of you are doing it today. You have a very visual product. Thank goodness you're not in IT. When they do IT and they make systems go faster and applications don't break and all that stuff, nobody ever sees it. 
Nobody ever comes to them and says, that's awesome. When you're finished, what you do, people look at it, they see it, they're amazed by it, and they want to tell other people about it. So if you've had a great business and you're really good at what you do, and you're waiting for that referral at the end, this is the thing that gets you to cash in on each one. You've got to think this way, which is every one of my satisfied customers should be able to produce another satisfied customer, all of them. So how many are you actually getting referrals from, right? S much smaller percentage, right? So that's what you've got to do to bring it home. All right, that's what happened a couple of years ago. Now, Sun Tzu, The Art of War. So this book, you know, fifth generation BC, this general writes this concept of what has to happen to win. I'll give you a practical example of somebody that is absolutely executing this that everybody here has heard of. And you'll know that they're executing it when I go through the first couple of examples. So here's a couple of things that Sun Tzu said. He said, so it's said that if you know your enemies and you know yourself, you will not be put at risk even in 100 battles. But if you know yourself but not your opponent, you may win or you may lose. And if you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you'll always endanger yourself. Now, we're going to take that and we're going to compare it to selling. right? Think about what Sun Tzu, Tzu is saying. If you know your enemy, and you know yourself, you're going to win, right? Who's the enemy in a sales battle? Who's the enemy? Who's got it? Competitor, right? So competitors are certain ones that are you know, fierce enemies, right? They've got a good market share in your industry, et cetera, et cetera. So you definitely have to be thinking about that. Are we doing the right things right when it comes to competition? But what was the other one? Who had the other one? Your customer. That's what today's about. That's the key. Your customer is not enemy meaning battle, head to head. But there's things that they're not telling you that you need to know in order to win. And they will tell you if you ask. Or you can just write out an estimate and send it to them. Cross your fingers and let's see what happens, right? So that's what you've got to think about is, all right, I understand if I've got a certain competitor I've been in the market with against them for some period of time, what I have to do to defeat that competitor, right? You might have a competitor that's superior to you. Uh, there might be a competitor that has a higher price tag than you or one that has a lower price tag. Sun Tzu said, uh, in relation to these, that you gotta be prepared for both, and you're gonna see that coming up. Next thing he said is, the highest form of generalship in order to win in a battle, the first thing you have to do is Balk the enemy's plans before they can get them together. Instead of taking them head on, you say, okay, we're going to get fortified, we're going to go face them head face to face. That's nowhere near as successful as finding out the enemy's plans and making it, you know, taking care of it before they can ever get it and formulate it. Second, he said, if you can't do that, then what you want to do is prevent the junction of enemy forces. Don't let them come together. Fight them individually so that they can never get together and become a power third. Then if you have to, then you're going to, you're going to fight them head to head in the field. And fourth is they've got a fortified location. They're not coming at you. You've got to besiege a walled city. Now here's the, the couple of applications that come from this. And here's where you're going to see it. And then we're going to talk about what is your walled city when you're selling and you do a certain uh, you approach a certain type of prospect. Some of them are much easier to get a yes from than others. Some of them are a lot harder. They're, those are your walled cities. It's when you've got to do all the work and you're up against the toughest competitors or the way they approach you is a way that's very difficult for you to win. That's your walled city. But the person that everybody here knows that you would see that does this, and I can almost assure you 
that he uh, has had his entire team read this book. I don't know for certain because I've never spoken to him, but he's got a military background from the New England Patriots is Coach Bill Belichick, right? Now, why did I say Belichick in relation to balk the enemy's plans? What are the Patriots accused of? Anybody know? Cheating. Cheating. Not the greatest NFL team of all time wouldn't cheat, would they? Here's why. It's not considered cheating to Bill and his team. What were they trying to do? And specifically in cheating, what were they accused of? Videotaping what? The walkthrough of the opponents, the plays that they were going to run. They, they empty the stadium for you know, the day before the game. They each get to do a walkthrough. So as the other team is doing their walkthrough, they left somebody to photograph and, or video, take a video of the walkthrough. So what's that do for the defensive players on New England Patriots when they line up for the first 10, 15 scripted plays? They know what the plays are. You follow? They don't consider it cheating. They're doing anything they can do to win. What else were they accused of? Deflate gate. They deflated the footballs to make it easier to grip so that Tom Brady could do what he needed to do in that particular game, right? Again, that's not to them, they're not looking at it as cheating. It's just strategy. This is what we're going to do based on the conditions we're presented with. This is what's going to happen, right? Now, when it comes to you, the walled cities, what is the type of a sales opportunity for you that's the toughest to win? It's almost always going to be a no. Some of you are in commercial. I get that. Some are residential. Some do both. But if you've got an example, what's your walled city? Like the one that's the hardest to win. It's like every time I get one of these, I'm thinking, why do I even bother? I should just tell this person I can't help them. What is it? Anybody have a walled city you're willing to admit? Yeah. Yeah, when price is the main, uh, the first thing out is the price. And if you sell commercially and, you're, and you actually have to deal with somebody in procurement or purchasing, it is a technique that most of you don't have to deal with it because I get it, you're a painting contractor. But when you have that situation, they are the most highly skilled person at lowering your price in the world. They wouldn't even have a job if they weren't good at lowering your price. So they're going to start with, what's your price? Can we get the price down? What if we give you extra work? The extra work is never coming, by the way. But what if we give you extra work? All right, it'll come eventually. It might come in three years, but they're going to make you feel like it's coming right now. Well, we could lower the rate. This. Uh, what else? Who else has a walled city? One where. Yeah, the person that's asking to send over the paperwork, they want the proposal, the estimate, and they can't sign it, right? That, that's something that you have to enforce. And there's lots of examples. What, what Sun Tzu said, if you picture a castle, like how do, you, how do you defeat a castle? Unlike the movies, you do not go through the front door, right? You're all going to die if you go through the front door. So what they used to do is they used to build up mounds of earth that they could walk up. Now, granted, they're being attacked while they're doing it. So what happens? You lose a third of your people while you're doing the preparation to go over the top of the wall. While you're climbing it, you lose another third, and you got one third of your force left to go over the top. That's what he's talking about, which is, why would you do that when you can do the other three things, right? So when it comes to this, you've got to think, OK, how do, how do I apply that, and what does it happen? Well, this is what you're going to be asked at. This is what it's going to look like. Can you lower my price, or what's your hourly rate? Now, I know that we've worked with a bunch of contractors of different types. They get these questions, but you guys probably do not, right? <laughs> Nobody gets these questions? A couple? You do? I'm so surprised, right? So can you lower my price, and what's the hourly rate? Now, what, how would you respond to that? This is important to understand. 
Very, very important. Now think again, what you're trying to do is find out what are they driving, right? So what, how would you normally respond? Somebody goes, oh, I get that question all the time. This is what I say. What is it? Who's got an answer? What part of the job you want me to take out, right? Can you lower the price? Sure. What, can, what do you want me to take out, all right? Who has another answer? What do you like? Not bad. What else? Yeah. Yeah, value, maybe we can look at value engineering, which is another way of saying there's going to be pieces that we have to look at. We can do later. You don't have to commit to them now. We can do them in a different way. You have to agree to lower the standard on some of the things we have to do. Whatever it might be, that's good. But that's not the answer. Who's got the answer? Yeah. Uh, what price were you expecting to pay? What price were you pay? Interesting, because it, it, you know, it's almost like any question you ask will get them to step forward and give you more information. It's any question. This is a great question, which is, well, what price were you expecting to pay? But what happens? It, you just reverse the roles. You're buying a car. You've done all kinds of research. You walk in, and you have done all the research. And you walk in, and you ask them this very specific question. You know, Are, Will you guys be able to get this done for you know, 42000 include the following warranty, et cetera, et cetera? They're like, whoa, whoa, what happened? Right? All right, so one more try. Who's got the best answer to both questions? So that was good, because it came back. A ask a question with a question, right? That's the fundamental thought. Ask a question, answer a question with a question. All right, can anybody reframe it just slightly differently? And if not, I'll give it to you. You ready? All right, the answer to all these questions. Any crazy request that you get the 11th hour, this at the beginning is, can I ask you why you're asking to fill in the blank? We'll get to that. You just say, we'll get to that. But can I ask you why you're asking me to lower the price? Now, if this comes out for you commercial folks, if this comes out at the beginning, you have to it's red flag it and go, we're going to get there. I don't usually cover it the second I walk in the door. Can I ask you why you're asking me to lower it, but also why so soon? You know, what's the situation? What is the most common reason for the commercial people that they go right to the price? What is the most common reason? Now, I said if they were in purchasing, it's just the technique. But what's the most common reason? On one where you typically are always going to lose. They're not they're running out of money, something else. I mean, it could be valid, but yes. Budget, that meaning they're, they're stuck in a budget. But on one that you're going to lose, I'm, I'm giving you a tip. You're going to lose this one. But they come out and they go, give me your price. What is it? They already have a painter. You're the, what we call the check price. You're the check price. That's all you are. You serve a function that's important for that business if you're in commercial or residential where they've already met with the person they want to paint the property. And they say, what's your price? They don't need to, they don't want all your questions. They don't want to have to answer them. They don't want any of that stuff. They just need your price. Because if they want to use that company, they're coming in, they're going to go three bids, Maybe yours was the lowest, but they're not going to choose the lowest. They just want to say, here was the lowest, but we're going to go with this one because. You follow? You serve a purpose to them. But what you want to do is not come back and quote that one. And you have to enforce your rights in the sale to uncover it. So we're going to talk about uncovering it. This is huge. All right, so just things you're no longer allowed to say in relation to battling. And you might want to just take a shot of this one. And, and if time permitting, I'll cover them all, but I'm going to jump to the bottom half. So these are things when it comes to selling you should never say. These are on the no list. And if you're looking at one, you say, I say that all the time. You've got to stop. I mean, today. 
You gotta leave the room and you gotta start catching yourself when you say it. On the bottom, your crew. Why do I have an issue if your crew, your team, says that's a piece of cake? No problem at all, that's easy. Why, why is that a problem from a sales perspective? Undervaluing. Undervaluing themselves, right? Which means you're gonna go to them and say, I need like five days to do that. And they just told them, piece of cake, no problem. For them it is, you follow? Because they've got the skill to do it, right? That property manager doesn't have the skill to do it, that's why they're talking to you. That homeowner doesn't have the skill to do it, that's why they're talking to you, right? So you gotta go back and if you got your team, you gotta go, look, there's three things you're never allowed to say again to anybody. Like you can't say these things. And, and, and it's hard because it's a reflex for a lot of people, but get them to start flexing that muscle, right? And say, when somebody says that, say, we can do that, right? They can just say, we can do that. That's a good way, just replace it with, we could do that. And do you need to know how long it's gonna take us? They can just ask that. And that would get them out of that situation. We'll come back to the others. now. The people that are able to enter into a battle, a sales battle, like Sun Tzu talks about, are the ones that have this kind of a sales graph. This is the person that is not motivated by the money. It's a person that's motivated by the battle to win the engagement. They wanna get the deal. And everybody here has met somebody like this in your lifetime. It's not that they have the ability to just talk to people, but they're not motivated by the money. If they are motivated by the money and your company does really well, then they flatline. What do I mean by flatline? Eventually they flatline. What happens? What happens in their life when they flatline if they're motivated by the money? What? They get a comfort level. They, they're at an income level they never expected to have if they're your salespeople, right? And then they get comfortable. The person who is not motivated by the money and it's, and, and it's not every person that you're gonna meet, they never stop. If you start taking away the small accounts, it's one of the best things you can do, especially commercial people here. As you start growing your commercial business, if you're a salesperson, or you are the one that's out doing the commercial bids, but you're still working with a bunch of small accounts, great example, a lady named Carol, top salesperson uh, in her industry. She met with the owner of the company. She killed the number for the year, and she meets with the owner, Stephanie, and Stephanie says, Carol, you did a great job, you killed it. You smashed your quota, here's a bonus, et cetera. Now we're doing your plan for next year. I'm taking away half of your accounts. And Carol, who told this story to me, freaked out. She said, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? She looked at her list, her list an Excel spreadsheet. Half of my accounts, that's a lot of money. What are you doing? Why is it such a great process as you start to move up with somebody who really gets this and can win in these battles. What happens when you take away the small accounts? What's that? They go get more, but what about a bigger account, especially on the commercial side? What do they do? They spend more time on it and they go left and right instead of just getting more. They get all the business that's there to be gotten. They pull it all in, right? Carol, second year, smashes the number again. Smashes the number, same meeting with Stephanie. She tells us the story. Same meeting with Stephanie. Stephanie comes in and says, Carol, you did it again. I can't believe it. You smashed it. Here's another bonus check. You did great. I'm taking away all your accounts except for 10. Right? She's working with gigantic companies, PP&L, Air Products up in Pennsylvania, biggest companies that provide energy and whatnot in the area. Takes, it, takes her down to 10 and moves her forward to smash it a third year in a row. Think about that as you go through this, and think about if you have somebody that you know that's like this. Now, 
as you learn concepts and you're out there doing it, there's a lot of people, you've built a business up to a certain size and you're just sort of feeling it like, I don't even think I'm good at like what I'm doing. I don't even know if the stuff I'm doing is right, but I'm winning enough that I'm okay. Like I've got this million, million dollar business, I've got a $5 million business, Why? I wanna get it to 10 million, right? So you're going through what's called a level of competency and you're doing whatever worked the last time you tried it. But if you take into account some of the things you're gonna learn through great books that are out there, through like stuff that we're teaching today, you'll go through these levels. The lowest level, the starting point is down at the bottom and that one is unconscious incompetence. It means the things that I'm doing that you know, I'm walking around saying piece of cake to everybody. I didn't even know I wasn't supposed to do it. I'm just operating in this mode where, you know, I'm out there and I'm just doing it the way I do it. Then it's introduced to you and you start to apply it and you get what's called conscious incompetence. That means you just hung up the phone with the prospect or you just left the property and you went, oh my gosh, did I blow it? I can't believe what I said. I left the property, I blew this deal, et cetera, et cetera. The third level is, meaning you're doing it after the fact, third level when you start to get it and you start to use it, is it's coming to you in the moment, but it's a slow delivery. So you're thinking about what you're gonna say, you gotta slow it down a little bit. Slowing down, even using silence. Anybody use silence in a sales situation? What happens when you get silent? Guys in the back row, they're like, I use it. What happens? They start talking, they start talking which gives you everything you need to know. So if you're a talker, you have to recognize, hey, I gotta stop and shut up occasionally just to let them talk because they're gonna tell us more stuff if we do it. So slow down a little bit. That conscious competence, let them fill in the blanks because if you are, if you are telling, then you're trying to sell them and that's not what you should be doing. You should be asking questions, right? But then ultimately you'll get it to the point where you go, boom. I hit your knee, your knee, your leg pops, which is somebody says, can you lower my price? And you go, can I ask you why you're asking me to lower the price? It's just hit knee, leg goes, right? That's a reflex, that's called, that is called uh, unconscious competence. It means every time they do that, I do it the right way. All right, back to Sun Tzu. So Sun Tzu said, he will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight. <laughs> Think about sales, when to fight and when not to fight. He will win who knows how to handle both superior, by the way, if you're in a situation where somebody's unhappy, then they call you, and you know that eventually you're gonna cave, for whatever reason, you gotta cave. Some, your guys did something wrong, something is not right, and you're gonna cave. Cave at the beginning, not at the end. Why am I telling you to cave at the beginning and not at the end? Save your time, more, more so than that. What's it like if you're, gonna, if you're going, well, I don't know if we can make a concession like that, and you're, 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 you're telling them repeatedly, what is it? Yeah, you get them on your side, but you're beating them up. If you're gonna cave, right? Don't beat them up before you cave. They don't feel good about it. They don't feel good having to ask you to make a concession, right? You're making them fight for it. If you're gonna cave, cave at the beginning, not at the end. So that make sense? I don't want you to cave. But if you do need to cave because whatever happened, you do it at the beginning, not at the end. He will win who knows how to handle both the superior and inferior, force, inferior uh, forces. You go to somebody, and it, some of you have somebody who is more expensive in your market than you. A lot of times at a conference like this, we get the elite people in their field here. So they are at the higher end of the price range, I get it. But what can you do when you've got somebody that you know that you consistently go against and they charge more than you do? How can you handle it? Does anybody have a technique for handling that? 
when they, if you find out that you're up against somebody else, either you saw the, the commercial people, a lot of times you have an advantage. Sometimes they do the walkthrough with your competitors right there with you, so you know who you're bidding against, but not all the time. But if you know you're up against another provider because you got them to tell you, whatever it might be, what do you do when you know that that price is going to come in higher than yours? Anybody have a technique for it? If not, I'll give you one. Sure. Uh, ask them what they're you can ask, you know, what, you know uh, a good way to ask about their offer would be to say, you know, typically when, and when I'm up against ABC painting, they're going to come in with the highest number. Is that the case? Right? Because you're trying to find out how many other people are they taking estimates with, right? That's one. But here's a different one, which is when they, if they divulge that you're up against somebody who's very expensive, you just simply want to say to them, wow, so it sounds like we're not going to be negotiating about price on this one, are we? Follow? If they're entertaining a bid from the most expensive company, wow, sounds like we're not going to have to worry about negotiating price on this one, right? It's just drawing a line in the sand that you're going to walk about, walk across. They're going to say, no, no, price is important to us. Price is important to us. They go, okay, well, how the heck am I going to lose to them? They're always more expensive than we are. How do you see us losing to ABC? They're always the most expensive player. How do you see, I'm going to come in lower than, how do you see, is it, is it something other than price? Do you follow? So it's being able to say, the, likewise, you go up against somebody and you're up against the handyman service if you're a residential painter. Handyman service, you see the truck, you see the card there or something, they tell you we're going to have our handyman quote it, and you know the handyman's prices are lower than yours. Whew, you got to get them to agree that the handyman's either in it or out it before you send your paperwork over. Do you follow? If you're entertaining a bid from the handyman, there's no way I'm going to compete with the price. Are we going to have to go head-to-head -head price against your handyman? Is that the case? Is that what we're doing? Right? If you know it's going to be lower, if you've got a low-price competitor, you ask them, am I going to have to go head-to-head -head price against them? You have to get them to agree they're either accepting that low price or not before you do anything else. And if they say, no, we're real, we, do, we want a quality job, you can get them to eliminate that lower end bid. You just say, look, I can't send the stuff over unless you agree that it's not just solely going to be based on the dollar rate per hour. Otherwise, I can't send you the stuff. Now, will every single person honor their agreement? Almost every single one will if you just talk to them. There's a few heathens in the world, but that you're not going to deal. I know you think all your customers are, but they're not, right? They're not. They just don't, they're not used to buying all the time, so they don't know what to say and do. Next, right? He'll win whose army is animated by the same spirit through all its ranks. He will win who prepared himself, waits to take the enemy unprepared, and he will win who has the military capacity and it's not interfered by the sovereign. Now, three out of the five in red have direct application to what you're doing in selling. Just I'll mention number three real quick. If you have somebody on the team who is negative, you've got to get rid of them. It is like poison. And if they are good at what they do, but they have a negative attitude, and they do not have the same spirit as the rest of the people, and I know for some of you, I'm punching you right in the chest. You must get rid of them. You can't, you can't go through substantial growth while you're dragging a negative force with you like a rock. It's a boulder you're dragging the business along with. What if you hire new people? They're going to spoil them with their negativity, so you can't. Number five, uh, if you have now gotten to the point where you've got supervisory leadership that's supposed to take care of the crews, and you keep intervening over top of them, Number five is what Sun Tzu's talking about. You can't do it. You have to work through the military system. 
and go to those people and have them take care of their people. Once you start doing it, you're going to lose that person. You're going to lose that person. And the people underneath them will not listen to the person you put in supervisory leadership because you keep trumping everything they tell them to do. Sometimes you're going to have to you know, take a hit when they advise them to do something that's going to cost you a little bit of money, but you've got to trust them that they're trying to do the right thing. right? So watch for that. So the first one, know when to fight, when not to fight. It's huge. There's some estimates that you should not give. There's some that you should not give. You know it in your gut that you're not going to win it, and you know the reasons why, and I'm not sure what they are. It might be if you're residential, you strongly suspect the homeowner. Everything you see is homeowner done. On the moldings, none of the corners meet. I, I don't know what it is. You guys see it all the time. You walk through the property, you're like, homeowner, homeowner. You don't see any work from a contractor there. Like, you have to have a serious conversation with that person about how many times have you used a contractor to do professional work. Now, they might have just moved in the home. You're looking at the current situation. They might have used a contractor on everything in the old home, right? So that's what you got to find out. That's why you're asking. Can I just ask you, how often have you used a contractor? They say, well, we've never used a contractor. Uh-oh, now it's like, okay, what do we do now? So you've got to recognize that there's times when it doesn't make sense to fight without them agreeing that they're not going to do it themselves, right? And taking the steps forward. Uh, those who handle both superior and inferior forces we talked about, if you're prepared, you can wait and take the enemy unprepared. Now, also, the other thing you can do is plant landmines, I call them. If you have certain competitors that you know what to say to differentiate yourself from the competitor, and you're in there first, what do you do? Does anybody have an example of a landmine you plant for a competitor? What's your landmine? Anybody have one for a competitor? Explain the competitor, and we'll explain the landmine. Yeah. It doesn't have to be by name, but yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Competitors, all subcontractors, all yours are your own employees. So what, how do you d plant the landmine? Yeah, so he's explaining, hey, you, you, when you do that, you're rolling the dice because you're never sure which crew's going to show up, right? So the best way to frame it when you've got that is everything with permission. Remember this. All, your, all the things that you're going to address with them are permission. You know, do I have permission to talk to you for a minute about subcontract work? Can we have a conversation about it? They say, sure. Say, okay. We don't do it. This is how we do it. But it's not uncommon that our competitors do. Here's the concern a homeowner should have with subcontract work. You don't know which one you're getting. You're getting whatever crew they found today. They might even stop by uh, the local McDonald's in case there's a couple of guys that are out of work and grab them on the way to your house to become part of the painting crew, right? In a lot of cities, this is where it, I'll tell you, the corner in Philly is in King, King of Prussia. There's a McDonald's, a corner, where everybody that's out of work goes, and then people come by, it's haulers, it's painters, it's, and they just grab, hey, can you work? And they have a supervisor that you know, can communicate with the guys, and that's it. So that, you've got to be aware of that, and you have to be able to be able to plant a landmine that they're going to step on. Now, how do you know like, that they're there? You have to ask questions about where you are in the process. So I'm going to give you a tool that we talked a little bit about two years ago when we were doing the session in a couple of minutes called the reverse timeline. But this concept of what Sun Tzu's talking about is taking it to the next step and getting them to reveal their plans. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to walk out of here able to do it. So next, 
people that are brilliant in battle, no closing. If you accelerate and you push, they're going to fall back. It's just like you just think of what you learned in, you know, science class. It's a force. You exert a force. It's met with an equal and opposite force, right? So you push. It's, they're going to go back. They're going to retreat. They're not going to come toward you. If you fall back and say, hey, I'm not sure we're fit, they're going to try to pull you in if they want to do business with you, right? But if you accelerate it, if you try to push, it's almost like they can smell it on you. If you need a deal and you have your salespeople going in and they need this deal, the buyer can smell it on them and it chases them away. They get an uncomfortable feeling. So if you push, it can be very effective. There are sales training companies that sit down and they say, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna go for the close right there. It's very effective in the moment, but don't expect that if it, did, if it did not happen right then, you are never gonna do business with that family again. You're never gonna do business with that, with that commercial contract again because you're gonna push them and you're gonna go, you gotta make the decision right now and when you do it, You'll land a bunch of them, but the ones that, you, that need more time, you're never going to land them. Question or comment here? Quick question regarding the recent change. So are you saying it's never a cue, I guess, ask, or hey, is it something you can report on? Or? All right, so there's, there's the generic definition of closing, and the, the version I'm using of closing now is the push. Like, here's where you sign, sign our electronic agreement. Can you decide today you're, you're trying to accelerate, you're trying to push, right? The generic version of closing is, well, we want to know that we're either getting it or we're not, right? What you should be trying to do is collect a decision, whether it's a yes or a no. How many estimates do you have out on the street where you don't know the answer to them yet? You don't know if they're a yes or a no. It's people from last year who never told you yes or no, right? You should be striving to get every salesperson to go 100%, we either heard we were getting it or we heard we're not, or we heard they're not doing the project now. It's one of those three choices, right? So you're after a decision. So when you talk to them, you wanna to talk to them about, at the end of our process, I wanna be able to collect a decision on whether we're moving forward or not. So it's collecting a decision, not just the yeses, you're after the yeses and the noes. If you get a quick no, it's as good as a yes. Why is a quick no as good as a yes? How does it help you? What's that? You don't, you don't waste your time. You can, all that energy goes on something else. What I mean by quick no is you're at the property and you're having a conversation with them, the handyman thing, and you're going, wait a second, your handyman's bidding on this thing. Like, how, did he give you an hourly rate? Like, yeah, he's 35 an hour. You're like, like it's, are you concerned about anything else or is it just the price? Nope, this one's a price deal. It's got four walls on the bedroom, paint it, right? And you go, look, we might not be right for this one, but on the next one, if you're gonna paint the exterior, or anything like that, I wanna do it. Find out when the paint, handyman's gonna paint it and call him back and say, how did it go? And then you'll get the next project, right? That's, that's how you do it. So that one, you're getting the no as early as possible and you're even getting the no. Instead of waiting for them to tell you no, you're saying this one's not a fit for me. But here's what would be a fit for me. I'd love to work on your property. Boom, I'm out, right? So it's kind of like the shark tank where you see the sharks are going, I'm out. For the following reasons, I'm out. Look at that. You have the right to say no. Here's where we go, right? So don't accelerate. Don't be desperate. That desperation is going to cause them to go the other direction. Now, getting them to reveal their cards. This is the key to being able to win at the battle. Everybody has them. Everybody's got cards that they're not telling you. Everybody has something 
that they've either thought about and didn't tell you. They, uh, in, it could be in a commercial situation. Uh, somebody said, if you don't get that next deal to lower 10%, you're no longer here. How would you ever know that? You would never know that. That's happening behind the scenes. It's any research that they've done. It's conversations they've had with other people. The first thing you want to do to lower their apprehension is to get them to, to understand that it's OK to tell you no. And there's a fantastic book if you want to write down the author. Uh, but his name's really easy. It's Jim Camp. And it's called Starting With No. And it follows this fundamental concept. It's to get the apprehension down. So when you meet with somebody, you say, look, as we talk about the property, I just want you to understand it's absolutely OK to tell me if we're not a fit for the project. And I will do the same. What's it say when you say, I'll do the same? It's okay. I want you to tell me now, if, if anything I say is not a fit for you, I want you to tell me, right? But I'll do the same. What's it say about you, sir? Yes, I'm qualifying you too. And it gives you the right when they say something like they start hammering on price, you can say, whoop, I'm raising my hand. If this thing's just a price deal, we're not the one that's going to that's gonna win. But it's happening before you go do all the estimates that you're doing today that you weren't going to win anyway. Do you follow? When you're talking to that guy and it's a price deal and they're hammering you on the price, you go, look, if it's a price deal, you're not going to pick us. If you're picking quality, that's us. Others here might enter into a good discussion on price. But when you're there, if you say you can't get off this point, then we're not a fit. Meaning, I didn't send you anything yet. I didn't do the work to estimate. And you go, I got software that estimates. I just put in the size of the rooms. It comes up with it. But you still are required to follow up and see if it's going to move forward or not. You get all that time back too, right? So this is huge. And for some of you, you just got to go, wait a second, I, <laughs> Tony, I, like, I can't do that, right? You ha it starts at a point. And this is what it sounds like. I'll soften it so you get it. You're meeting with a homeowner, you're meeting at a commercial project, and you're looking at it, and you just start the conversation. There's going to be a point right at the beginning where they come to you, and they start talking about how much do you think it would cost, or you know, do you, let me show you the space. You look at the space, and right when the conversation shifts to you, you want to say, hey, as I go through the questions that I have for you today, if at any point you just recognize it's not going to be a fit, I want you to try to remember this. Stop me and raise your hand and just tell me so. And then we can figure out if we should work together or not. But I'll do the same. That's what it should sound like. Confident, right? Very easy. Cover it with them and move forward. So it looks like this, if you want to snap a quick picture of it. right? If at any point you know we aren't going to move forward for any reason, would you tell me? And I'll do the same. But that, that piece is the same. Now, you got to start. You just have to try it. On the next deal you're working, at the beginning of the deal, maybe you're a little bit further in and you're getting a chance to talk to the person again. Hey, during our discussion today, just rattle it off and see what happens, right? They'll go, okay, if you were out buying something that was very significantly expensive and you're meeting with the salesperson and they said this to you, how would it make you feel? You're buying a car, you're buying appliances, you're buying a house. If they said, hey, if any point it's like, it's not a fit, and you know we're not going to work together, would you tell me? Wouldn't you feel relaxed? Like, oh my gosh, I can tell this person no. Right? Did you ever get the phone calls at home where they will not stop? They just keep going, and you're like, how do I? I just, boom, and you got to hang up? Like, you're telling them, that's not going to happen with me. I'm not going to pursue at that level, right? 
So he says, if you know the enemy, know yourself. You need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, from one of the first slides we did, for every victory gained, you also suffer defeat. But if you don't know either, you're going to succumb in battle. Here's how you do it. Um, if you're not a poker player, I'll explain the scenario so you get it. But the people that are poker players, Texas Hold'em, what are you thinking right now when I show you these are your two down cards in Texas Hold'em? And then I'll explain it to everybody else. What? You're There's people groaning. What? What do you do when you see these cards? I'm out. I'm out. You follow? When you see the cards in a sales situation that are bad, you're out. But here's the difference, right? If you've ever watched poker on TV, for the people that don't understand Texas Hold'em, it works like this. There's five cards in the middle of the table. They're not all face up at the beginning, but as you play the hand, they all wind up face up. Every player here has two cards. So there's a, a bunch of people at the table, uh, four, eight. They each have two down cards. They can combine their two with the five that are up to get the best hand out of five cards that they can make. But everybody gets to use the five in the middle. So the jacks, it's the king that's there, everybody gets to use the king. And it's just your two cards that you're trying to make a group of five. Now, the reason that this is such a bad hand, in poker, it's not just two of a kind, three of a kind, four of a kind. There's also such a thing as a straight. You know, there's a full house and a flush. And when you get a two and a seven, you can't even make a straight out of that. You only get to use five cards. It's two, three, four, five, six. So this statistically is the worst hand that you can be dealt in Texas Hold'em. You follow? So as you proceed, if you ever watch poker on TV, they have one advantage that these guys don't have when they're at the table, right? Now they get a different hand. They get a king and a six, which I think statistically is around a 54, 55% chance to play it and win. It means I might want to stay in this one. I might not. But I absolutely know if I want to stay in, if I was watching on TV, what is the advantage that the people, when you watch poker on TV, you have that you don't have when you're sitting at the casino table? You, can, you know what everybody else has. Do you follow? Now you know if you should bet or not. Because that king and six could be huge compared to what somebody else has on the table. They might stay in. They might try to bluff you. But if you knew what they had, you know whether to stay in or get out in a second, correct? That's sales. What you got to do is get them to tell you what they're not telling you today. And you can do it. Anybody can do it. Sales is a profession. They're not born that way. They're not just born a great talker, and that's why they're good in sales, right? They're taught. The best salespeople in the world are taught. The ones that are selling for Boeing, boy, do they have a job right now, right? They got a bunch of planes that crash, and they have to go out and try to convince somebody that it won't happen with this plane, though, that I'm about to sell you for like $10 million, right? But these, they're the best salespeople in the world. How'd they get there? They were taught how to do it. And then they, they practiced, and they did it, and they did it. So hope is not a good sales strategy. It's not good when it comes to Texas Hold'em, and it's not good in selling. You can't hope that it's going to come through. You need information, and you get that from the person. Now, the way you do it is you have to have a strategy. There are people that are great at sales. I drew this the last time we were together. There are people that are great at sales. They have a great sales career. They do just fine. They have the right mindset. They've got you know, essentially a winner's mindset. They're not beating themselves up every day, and they've got lots of activity. They're either following up on a bunch of leads. They're, you know, they've got, or if they're out banging down doors, they're doing commercial, they're calling people, they're calling property managers and project managers, and they're talking to them, and they're engaging. So they do those two things, and when you have those two together, if you had each one by itself, you wouldn't get a great sales result. 
But when you add a strategy or a process to it, that intersection there is money-making material right in there. And that is the key to what Sun Tzu says, which is you have to have a strategy and you have to follow it. And when you do a strategy and you do it consistently, you'll do well. This is a strategy that we teach companies to follow, but it's no different than any of the major sales strategies that are out. They all do the same thing, but they call them different things. And it's a five-step process. It's very straightforward, but I'll tell you where you're tripping over yourself today. Most companies, they jump to the fourth step. The fourth step is called presentation. In our case, we call it presentation. It's where you tell them how awesome you are, or you explain how what you're doing is going to fix their issue. They need somebody to beautify the property, they need somebody to fix the property, whatever it might be. You come back and you skip all these three steps, all the questions that you need to ask. You do not know authority, and I'll explain that in detail in a moment because it's the most important thing about what we're gonna to cover today. You haven't really nailed the money, even from a general range standpoint, you haven't nailed it, and you're jumping right here to tell them how awesome you are. We're great at this. We got X number of years of experience. The company was formed 100 years ago by my great-grandfather. Blah, 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 blah. Great, can you paint a wall? Yes, All right? So you jump down here without doing any of that other stuff, and that kills you. That kills you. You get your number of wins, but you don't, you don't get to knock people out as you're going. Now, relationships are important. Expectations are, are important, but relationships, if you're a big um, I apologize for saying this, but there's some of you that do what we call relationship selling. The relationship starts once they become a customer. That's when the relationship starts. Sell today, then start with the relationship selling after. That's the way it's done. You gotta get the first one going. You gotta sell what you're in front of and then come to the relationship selling. So it's overrated. It goes through all five of the steps. It's there all the time, but on repeat business, it's huge. huge. And then in every single step, you're setting expectations uh, for what's gonna happen next. After you leave here, great video, but it's a long one to watch. And it's interesting, it's just fun to watch. This guy's name is Chris Voss. He is a FBI hostage negotiator, this guy, right? So what he does, and anybody follow Chris Voss's stuff? He's also, oh yeah, yeah, never split the difference. And split the difference, right? Let's meet in the middle. Why is that a failed philosophy? Chris says it clearly, it's a failed philosophy. If you come to somebody, let's say you have a problem on a job, and, and, and your response is, well, let's split the difference. You just failed. Why? Well, you're either going to cut back on what you're going to do, or you're going to eat half of the money that you should have been making on it, right? So you're giving away half without doing what? Negotiating for what you truly deserve, right? So it's a great video. Right about in the middle, when Chris is covering this, he's talking about a FBI negotiator. People that are great at negotiations, if they truly understand how to negotiate, they're great at sales fantastic at sales, because they get it, right? So Chris, Chris's job was negotiate with somebody who just like went into a bank and has five hostages and is telling everybody, hey, I'm gonna kill them because the bank screwed up my accounts, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so what's he negotiating? Is he really gonna give them a bag full of cash and a ride to the airport and a helicopter to get out of here and all that? He's never giving that. He doesn't promise it to them as he goes through the process. And right about at the middle, he makes the point 
that if you can represent the other person's perspective back to them, the greater your ability to be able to give them their perspective back and have them hear it, the more you're going to win. So what he's looking to do is find out what's wrong with that person. Why are they there? Why did they take the hostages? What's going on? Why is price important to them? Why does it have to be done by June 13th? The why, the why, the why, the why. And then be able to reflect that back to them by saying it to them, even if their philosophy is wrong. Somebody else told me they can do it, and half the time you can do it, and they said they've got the same exact process as you. That is not true. You follow? So you don't have to agree to them, but you have to be able to say to them, so what you're telling me is you got a similar quote, it's half the price of mine, and they're guaranteeing you they can do the same thing that I can. Is that what you're telling me? And there's this moment that Chris says in the video where they go, that's right. When you hit that magic moment, that's when you can begin negotiating. Until then, they have a belief that you will not be able to move them off of and you will not win, right? So watch it. It's a long video, but it's an interesting video. I did a talk at Google, and it's great. And it talks about this negotiating standpoint and what you have to do, and then he directly applies it to business development and what you're doing. So it starts with this. How do you get them to uncover their cards? How do you get them to tell you what they need to tell you? The first is this. If you take one thing away from what I'm mentioning to you is you have to ask people what a successful job looks like. Toward the beginning of the conversation, very close to the beginning, the only other thing I think you should cover before this is if you came in through a referral, you want to ask them as the very first thing you address, what did the referral source say about me? I know I came to you through a referral. Joe, your neighbor, sent me over. What did Joe tell you about us? Immediately, you are flipping it to them. Right, the guys that said use silence in the room, you're flipping it to them, they are talking. Because if Joe mentioned like three things about you but they only remember one, they said that you guys are just like really high quality and you clean up after yourself, right? Uh, that's what's important to them. That's what they remembered about you. They might have said five, six, seven things about you and your crew, but they remembered one, that item is very, very important to them. And if you can reflect that back, you're gonna do really, really well with this customer. But the very next thing you do is you want to ask them before you get to all the, hey, I'm going to take my measurements, et cetera, et cetera. So if, if we were to do this project for you and it's successful, what does that mean to you? If we do this project for you and it's successful, what's that mean to you? This is huge. This gets them to say what they're looking for in a painting contractor. That might be priced, but it's usually not. Wait till you, wait till you see if you start doing this consistently, every deal. Before we get into it, and if they don't understand, just ask it again. Just ask it again and say, so if we come in, you hire us, do the project. And you look back and you go, I'm really glad I hired those guys. That was real success. What happened? What kind of answer do you think you might give to that question if you were hiring somebody to work? Hey, if I come in and I paint your house and it's successful, what's it mean to you? How would you answer? Here's the, di here's the deal. It's different to every single person. Sun Tzu said that there are only two, uh, two methods for attack, direct and indirect. But with them, there's an unlimited number of ways to win a battle. And this is it. Every single person has their own perspective on what success is and what they're looking for in you completing that job for them. All right, so how would you answer? Like, what success look like to you if you guys were gonna paint this project? Give me an answer that you think might come out of their mouth or your mouth if it was you. What's that? It lasts. it lasts. That's a person that's after quality and value. I don't want to be calling you 
in six months saying it's chipping, it's peeling, it's not sticking, it didn't adhere. Why? Right? Sounds like you've been burned before. We have. I had somebody, I paid them to do the whole thing and that stuff peeled. Let's talk about that. You follow? That's exactly where, when you uncover that, you are in. You're in. Everybody else is going to go, it's X by Y by Z. Here's how much it is. And we, we follow a process, and the process works, and it's good. But you talk to them about why they were burnt, right? Here's one that I said. I told you guys, the folks that were in the session a couple of years ago, contractor doing major renovation on the bottom floor of our house. And he said, he, very similar question. He said, you know, what are your concerns? Here's another, what are your concerns? And I said, don't put a rusted out dumpster in my driveway that has graffiti all over it. What's that have to do with the price? Anybody know? I mean, he had to make one phone call to the dumpster company. He goes, hey, when you drop off the dumpster, it can't have any graffiti on it and try to limit the rust. Can you guys do that? Yes. When, when he started, the dumpster showed up. The paint on the dumpster was nicer than the paint on my house. <laughs> That's it. This guy, he was a winner. He just, he called him and he said, the dumpster, I, you got a new one? Yeah, can you drop it at this property? Yeah, it was brand spanking new, the dumpster. That's what I was concerned about. Then I was concerned about how much traffic was gonna go on through the house while they were working, how long they were gonna be there because my wife homeschooled our kids, right? It was like, that was my concerns. The price was not the concern with me, right? But every one of your customers has a different perspective and that's why you're asking, does that make sense? And then you address success and what's going on with them. So the two discussions are in every deal. So many of you in this room are great at, at number one. Number one is how does what you're providing fulfill what they want? You're good at explaining it. You're, you're good at what you do. So you're very good at fulfilling number one, but you can also explain why working with you is good and how you're gonna address whatever problem they're having, right? Number two, you're probably not as good at is decisioning. Every single deal you look at has a decision process that they're gonna go through on their side and most of you do not know what it is, all right? You have to know what it is when you leave here. You've got to talk to people about how they're gonna make a decision. You have to get into a real conversation. So I got a question for you. Uh, if I were to write everything up, can you just explain to me how you're gonna go about making a decision because I'd like to talk to you about when we can talk about what that decision is. You're just gonna ask them. So. When I write everything up, if I were to leave it with you or send it you know, by email, can you just take a couple of minutes and explain to me what has to happen on your side in order for you guys to be able to make a decision? What has to happen, right? You need to understand every step that they're gonna go through so that you know where you are. It gives you the ability to say, well, we're gonna call in two other contractors. You might be really good at nailing a close if you're the first one in. I get that. You can ask them a simple question that says, look, if I give you a number that you're satisfied with and you've heard everything else you, you need to hear, is there any chance that you wouldn't take the other two meetings with the other two contractors? Would you possibly entertain that? You're just asking. They, say, Dep they might say it depends on what the number is. And then you can have a discussion about it and you can do it right there. But you don't know unless you know where they are in the process. You don't know how many people they're meeting with. You don't know whether they're concerned about price. You don't know. Uh, sometimes if you're doing residential, the husband might meet you, the wife might meet you. You don't meet the other one. You don't know if they want to be involved or want to talk to you, right? So you're going to use this technique. And this is a technique. Uh, we, we have a client that actually took a diagram that looks just like this. On whatever they were using to take notes at the site, on the back of it was this diagram. So they did not forget to draw it. 
right? You can just draw it on a sheet of paper. It's an arrow, you can put two circles at the end instead of arrows, but you flip it to them, you show it to them, and you say, at the end of the process, you're gonna make a decision, yes or no, to move forward. You can tell them what your lead time is based on what time of year you are. So you draw this diagram, you put a couple of slashes like I have here, you say, okay, when do you want it done by? And they go, it's gotta be done by June 1. You write June 1 right there. If you're on a six week or a four week lead time right now, if you're June 1, that means I need to hear from you by April 15th to get June 1 done. Are you okay with that? You're testing them right away. Are you okay with letting me know by April 15th if you need it done by June 1? Right away. Okay, got it. So you put that in and you say, now after I leave here today, what else has to happen that I would have to include as far as steps that you're gonna go through? Well, I gotta meet with two other people. When are the meetings? This is you trying to find out exactly what's gonna go on. You're not being pushy or intrusive or anything like that. You need to know. Then when you call back, you're not checking in. They say, nope, we've got, I already got one estimate. I need yours, and I got one other company coming in. When are they coming in? They're coming in tomorrow. How about I give you a call right after they come in? Is that good? Then we'll just talk about how the meeting went. Yes. You get an agreement to talk to them right after, an agreement about when they're gonna decide. It sounds a little oversimplified, but you have to know what they're gonna do. They might have a brother who's in construction who they wanna look at all three sheets of paper. What can you do to get that job that nobody else is gonna do? They go, well, I'm just gonna run by my brother. He doesn't do painting, but he's a contractor. So I just wanna show you, what do you do? Yeah, have him call you or you say, I, I gotta to talk to your brother. Before I send the stuff over, can I just talk to him real quick? Can I get him on the phone for, Contractor to contractor, you're in. You're in. What's, if you're coming in at a higher number and you got a hold of the brother, the brother's going to call him and go, this guy's $5 an hour more, he's $10 an hour more, but you should hire him. You're the only one that's going to take the time to do it. Do you follow? So it's not hypothetical. They all have a process they're going to follow. They just don't know. They're, there's a million different ways to do it on their end. They don't buy painting every single day. In the commercial setting they do, but in the residential setting they don't. So you're trying to figure out, well, what has to happen? If you have some requirements, information you need from them, does anybody have information you need from them? Uh, on the commercial, you definitely do. Who needs info? What is it that you need from them? What would you require from a prospect? What do you mean as far as like a start date? Before a start date, what else? Before you could agree what to. If they have a yeah, if they're gonna have a meeting about it, what else? If it's, and if it's commercial and it involves some construction, there's drawings that have to be done, right? There might be an architect involved. You need the plans, because otherwise you're shooting at a moving target and nobody's gonna get the price right. You follow? When you're in those situations where nobody gets the price right, if you don't add a step where you jump back and you loop in and you talk to them right here before they make the decision, you're, you're just, you're throwing chance in the wind. There's no way you're getting the deal. It's just, it's, it's anybody's guess as to who gets the deal on that one, right? So you have to eliminate that and make sure that you can stay out of those situations, all right? You do that by being the dumbest person in the room. You gotta ask a lot of questions. You have to ask all kinds of questions to them about how they're gonna decide what's gonna happen, getting an agreement to talk to them, and understanding what that timeline is. Doctors are the world's best example of the ultimate salespeople. They don't go to anybody and say, let me show you my credentials. Let me show you the process I'm gonna to use to take care of you, right? What do they do? They poke you, they prod you. They say, how long's this been going on? How long did you leave this room like this? 
man, this house, how, when was this, you could, some of you have the capacity to walk into a residential property and know approximately what year it was built based on certain things you see, right? I still want you to ask that person, when was your house built? Was it back in the 70s? Is that when it was? Some of them know it. They're like, yes, 1974, right? That's a detail-oriented person that says, yes, 1974. The person that says, ah, sometime in the 50s, they're not a detail-oriented person. It's a tell. In poker, it's a tell. It's a giveaway, right, of what they're doing. So if you recognize their personalities, you can also talk with them in a certain way. But what do doctors do? They keep prodding you. They keep poking you. They say, this really hurts. And what do they do? They say, every time I lift my arm, it hurts. What do they do? They grab your arm and they lift your arm. And they're like, ah, what are you doing? Right? You walk into a property, they let something go. You're like, how long did you leave it that way? Did you ever have anybody look at it before? Did you ever have anybody look at this? I remember we were doing a retaining wall at the house outside, really long. The driveway, I think you can fit like four cars in the driveway going up. It's got a stone wall. It's about waist high. And then it grades down to nothing. And you know the guys would come, and they're all like, it's $15,000. Next guy, it's $12,000. Right? None of them asked me, did you ever have anybody look at this or do a piece of this before? None of them. Not a single one. But you got to ask that question. How long has it been like this? Did you ever have anybody look at this before? What did they tell you? The person that was told you've got damage that's got to be fixed, when you come in and you know that somebody already told them, and then you come in and tell them, now you're not in a price war anymore. It's got to be fixed, and it's got to be fixed the right way. I'll give you an example. I had a call from a guy who does windows, right? Water damage. Water's coming into that window. It's rotting the sill. It's going down everything beneath it's destroyed. He called in for coaching, and he said, hey, Tony, what do I He's like, it's really bad. We, told, we covered it in the contract. I know you all have a blurb, and if you don't, you shouldn't be in this room, that says if we find anything in addition to what we're telling you, it's going to cost more. And then most of you, if you're good, you actually talk them through that point. It's not uncommon that we'll pull the wall down, we'll do whatever, and then we're going to see something that we weren't expecting, and it's going to be more, right? Well, it happened. This guy calls and he goes, I need to leave somebody there for five days to fix this thing. It's wrecked. We have to build it up from you know, the ground up. Five days. He felt guilty about it. And he said, it, it, you know, I, I know they said they wanted to do this project when they hired us, and they felt like it was a lot. So I'm going to go to them at cost. And I went, you're going to go to them at what? When was the house built? 1950s. How long have they lived there? 20 years. You are not going to them at cost. They know that there's something wrong with their property. You are not ripping them off. They made a decision not to keep up with the property until that point. Do you follow? They know it. They know that they've got to pay somebody to do it. And you're just going to go to them and you're going to say, look, I've got to leave somebody there for five days. But ethically, I can't put it back together and leave it the way it is. You either got to get somebody else to do the repair before we paint, before we do the windows, uh, or you got to let us do it. And they go, do it. Right? But he was going to go to them at cost. That's you. That's your salespeople. They're having these conversations, that emo those emotions they feel inside. The top salespeople, that graph I gave you where it goes off into the right upper, they are totally emotionless. Totally emotionless. They could have somebody call and scream at them and they'll go, is there anything else? You know? They can show empathy, but they're emotionless about whether they get this customer or not, whether they get this deal or not. They are lethal in a sales situation when they do not care if they get this particular deal. It's huge. So you learn more by asking questions and making statements. You have to judge yourself when you leave this room. 
Are you asking the right questions? All right, now the slide that I had up earlier. Uh, looks like time for me. We've got a few more minutes left. So I talked about that's a piece of cake, no problem. That's easy. You're not doing that anymore because there's a value to what you do. All right, if you use the simple technique of the reverse timeline, you're not calling to check in. You're calling to find out, did you have the meeting with ABC contractors yet or not? I'm calling to collect your decision. You're calling about the next step that was on that line. You're not just calling to check in. I'm calling to check in. It's a terrible phone call. Don't do it, right? Have a reason for every uh, phone call that you're going to have in the process. Next, I'll meet you in the middle. I talked about you, get, you just gave away 50%. Watch Chris Voss's video. You'll never tell somebody to meet in the middle. Or read Jim Camp's book, starting with no. He also talks about the same exact concept. Here's the deal. All of psychology, every single expert in this field that talks about how people make decisions follow this process. Your brain and the way it's wired. People make decisions based on emotions, period. They justify it with facts and figures and prices. But at the point at which they make the decision, they move forward. They are making an emotional decision. All of psychology agrees on this next piece, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt is the most powerful motivator for them to move forward. And then there's another element of some psychiatrists also believe that the desire to gain, but all of them agree it's emotional. So desire to gain, what's that mean? Resident, somebody owns a house and they want, it, they want to beautify it. They want to make it look better. That's desire to gain. Fear is what's going to happen when my family comes over and they see this the way it is. They see the chip paint everywhere, all that stuff. So that is the number one motivator for you to collect the yes. How long has this been like this? Do you ever entertain? Do you follow? When you're going to this and you're noticing these things, have you tried to touch it up yourself? How long ago did it last? You're not having a party at the house, are you? That is like, mm, 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 right there. And I'm not saying it to be mean. Every single person makes an emotional decision. And the fear is the most common, but also the desire to gain is the other. But all of psychology agrees it's not the facts and the figures. They're just used to justify the decision on moving forward. Okay, so if you're not settled with that concept, you got to start reading because it's real. It's just the way your brain is created and it's consistent from the beginning of all of the evidence all the way up through today. Nobody's wavered on it. None. Do you all right. I just, I bring it, I, I wouldn't say play it to negative. You don't want to be negative. I want to be careful about the designation there. The question was, do you play more to the negative or the positive? You, you, what you're looking for are these things that are going on in their life and their world with the, why does it have to be done by then? Can I talk to you about that? Why June 1st? What's going on? So you're looking for it, trying to recognize this. Is there some urgency to it, right? And that's really what you're after. It's not you have to play the negative, especially don't beat up your competition. But you do want to do things like saying, you're going to meet some people that tell you X, Y, Z, and it's absolutely not true. So I just want to cover it in case it comes up. You know, some people say they can do what we do without doing this level of prep. It's impossible. It, do, it doesn't, you can talk to the paint companies. They'll tell you the preparation is the key. That's one of the great things about being here, by the way. The education you get from Benjamin Moore and Jordan Williams, like all that stuff. So when we talk about I like to educate my prospects, here's the, here is the mantra I want you to remember which is sell today, educate tomorrow. Sell today, educate tomorrow. 
If, if you are educating them before the, the decision, it's only on one thing. It's educating them on how the current condition is a problem. Your expertise to, should be used to show this is a problem and it's not going to get better, not this is how you fix this problem. You follow? If you can show them as an expert, I'm going to tell you exactly why that's happening and it's, go it's only going to get worse. Take the, guy, the window and door guy. He goes, okay, water's going to keep going down here. Here's exactly what's happening. This is going to happen and that's his expertise in being able to tell them how they're broken immediately elevates him to the level of an expert. But if you educate them, you're educating them on how to be you. So it's not about how to actually do the process that I'm talking about. So it's sell them today, educate tomorrow. And if you've got somebody that's an expert, most powerful thing in sales, if you have newer salespeople that you want to be able to have them say something, they go into a client, and if there's, you know, there's something that needs to be looked at by you, if you're the owner of the company, you go, we're going to need, we're going to need Tony on this one. Who's Tony? That's what they're going to say. Who's Tony? Well, Tony's our owner. He's been doing this for 40 years. This particular situation, he's an expert at it. We're going to have to get Tony out here. Is that OK? Right away, they're like, they're in to you. Who's Tony? That's powerful. That's really, really powerful. So sell to educate. Uh, sell today, educate tomorrow. And then hiring salespeople and moving them in, it's not the gift of gab. Salespeople can be tested. They can be. But they have to be trained, but you know, if you have a situation like that, see me after and uh, we'll talk about it. All right, final recap. So you got to take something you learned today and implement it right after the session. You got to try it, right? You got to, even if it's your customer service people taking the calls, you know, there's, there's a technique that you've learned here today that you got to try. For some of you, it just affirms that what you're doing is right. Don't skip the process just because you got a really strong referral and you're like, this one's a slam dunk. Treat every single one like it was the walled city. Ask every single question you would ask to anybody else, right? Halfway through the process, they haven't asked anything about price. Can I ask you? Price usually comes up at this point. Why hasn't it come up with you? If it's a slam dunk referral, right? That would be important. Get the other person. If you become unemotional, you're going to win a lot, which is not being worried about whether or not this particular deal is going to go through. You're just, you're going to be there with them and uh, encouraging them and be willing to hear the answer no. Get the other person to reveal what they're not telling you by asking the right questions. Be the dumbest person in the room. All right, credits, and then that is how you get in touch with me. If you see me during the conference and you want to take on a free coaching call, give me your card. I'll coach you through a single deal to see how it goes. Just take a shot of that or after if you want to send me an email. Specifically mention this conference, and I'd be willing to help you. Thanks very much, everybody. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.